Let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. morning, church. The activity of the human soul is to find something of value and to worship it. Uh, today we are in uh, the last Sunday, the last installment of this series we've called Build My Life. And throughout the series, we've said two things. First, that we are all builders. And second, uh, the decisions you make each day, they determine the kind of person you become. So in other words, we all get to choose the kind uh, of life we build. We all get to decide how we build the life we build. And here's my contention today, that we were all built to worship, that every person in every place was created with this intention, with this purpose to be a worshiper. And I think I can prove it. Um, about five weeks ago, it was the beginning of the college football season. Any college football fans in the room this morning? Yeah, there you go. Thank you very much. And uh, it's an exciting time. Uh, the, the great thing about this college football season uh, for, for me personally and for our family was that our favorite team, uh, the Auburn Tigers, were traveling from Alabama here to DFW to Texas to play at AT&T Stadium for the, uh, the season kickoff game. They were going to be playing the Oregon Ducks. And uh, we were so excited because we would get to, to go to a game. So we got online early on. We bought the tickets. We found out that ESPN College Game Day was coming to DFW for the game. That made us really excited because one of our favorite things to do in our house, at least for me and Will, not so much for the girls, but for us, is to wake up every Saturday morning and watch college game day. And now they're coming here. So Will and I, we woke up at 5 a.m. that Saturday morning. We put on our Auburn gear. We got with some friends. We drove out to Fort Worth to Sundance Square where the show was going to be uh, was gonna be live. And we got there, you know, front row. Some of you saw us. We didn't know this. We're going to be on TV. We were on TV. Some of you saw us. In fact, here's a picture somebody sent me of us on uh, TV. Yeah, here's me. Uh, right here next to a poster of Ric Flair. I don't know why, but that's what happened. And we're cheering for uh, our Auburn Tigers. It was a great morning. We, we come home from the show. We uh, you know, get a little bit of rest, a little bit of lunch, and then we drive down to uh, Arlington for the game uh, that night. We go into the stadium, AT&T Stadium, and it is just ramped up. There are thousands of Auburn fans. There's thousands of Oregon fans. The place is packed. The game starts, and Auburn stinks. It's just terrible. Like the first, the first quarter goes by and we got nothing. You know, the second quarter goes by and, and we got nothing. Halftime comes and we're getting beat. And I look at Will because just so you know, he doesn't take losing very well. I don't know where he gets that from, his mom. And uh, I tell him at halftime, I'm like, hey, listen, win or lose, you know, this is my speech, my fatherly advice, win or lose, we're going to walk out of the stadium, our heads up, you know, chin up, just thankful to God that we got to come to the game. What a blessing that is. Um, third quarter comes, and we're not doing much better. But then the fourth quarter comes, and somehow Auburn starts to climb back into the game. 
And now we're only down a few points. And then with nine seconds left in the game, our freshman quarterback, Bo Nix, throws a 26-yard pass to our sophomore, Seth Williams, who somehow miraculously catches the ball and falls into the end zone for the game-winning touchdown. And the stadium goes wild. All the Auburn fans are cheering. I can see the Tucker Twins are excited, too. It's just a fantastic day for Auburn. That was easy right there. That was perfect. And uh, it was amazing. We're sitting in the end zone where this just happened, and we're surrounded by Auburn fans, and everybody's cheering, everybody's high five, and everybody's celebrating. Every, you're, you're hugging complete strangers. It's awesome. And I look over to Will, and you know what, what he was doing? He was, he was just yawning. And I checked my watch, and I was like, "Hey, you wanna, you wanna go? I'm kind of tired." He's like, "Yeah." And so we just left. No way. That's not what happened. No, we're jumping up and down, too. We're high-fiving complete strangers. We're hugging people we have never met before, some we probably don't want to ever meet again. And, uh, and, and we're just celebrating with everybody because it's a, an incredible moment. My son is literally crying tears of joy, and I couldn't be more proud. It's a holy moment. There were two Oregon fans sitting. Uh, they got in the wrong section somehow. And their heads were bowed in lament, as were the other Oregon fans in the stadium. You see, I think we were all created to worship. The object of that worship, that may be in question. The object of our affection and our attention, that that may be up for grabs. But we were all created to worship. But when it comes to our worship of God, and especially when it comes to our worship in church and places like this, I think think sometimes there's roadblocks to that worship. And you know what roadblocks are? Uh, in the mornings, I like to get up and I like to go for a run, and uh, I'll run down uh, Parkway here in Coppell. If you've driven down there, if you, if you live in this area, you know Parkway, that road's been under construction for a few weeks. And so there's literal roadblocks that they've set up that, that keep you from going, you know, a certain way in a certain lane as they're uh, rebuilding the road that's under construction. And some of us, I think, when it comes to our worship, uh, there, there's roadblocks, there's barriers that are up that just keep us. For whatever reason... They keep us from worshiping God the way, maybe the way we want to worship God, maybe the way God deserves to be worshiped. For whatever reason, something's happened or something is inside of us, there's a barrier that, that exists, there's a roadblock. But that's not our, our only problem. I don't know if you know the story of Ashlyn Blocker. When, when Ashlyn was a little girl, her parents uh, took her in to see the doctor. She had an injury to her eye, and so the doctors did what doctors do. They put some drops in her eye, and when they did, they realized that she had a scratch across her cornea. And when they realized that that was what was going on with her, uh, the do- doctors and nurses in the room let out a, an audible gasp. Because they realized that, that while she had this very painful condition, Ashlyn felt no pain. She's a five-year-old girl, and it doesn't even bother her. So they ran a series of tests, and what they discovered was that Ashlyn has a very rare disease that honestly only a very few people in the world have a condition that she has. And it's called, I'll mess it up, let me read it. It's called CIPA, congenital insensitivity to pain with anhydrosis, which means she can't feel pain. And so it wasn't uncommon for Ashlyn to have her hand on a hot stove and it be burned and her not even know it. It wasn't uncommon for her to be chewing her food and to bite into or through her tongue and not even know it because she didn't have the feeling to know that she needed to stop whatever it was she was doing that was causing her harm. Can you imagine growing up in a world where you, where you didn't feel anything? 
Or even worse, can you imagine growing up in a world where your children didn't feel anything? Sometimes when it comes to our worship, there's roadblocks, but I think sometimes what's happened in our worship is that for whatever reason, we've become numb and we've lost feeling. And the story of Jesus and the story of the cross, as emotional as the cross is, we've become desensitized. We've become numb to the emotion of the story of what God has done for us through Jesus. But here's what I believe. I believe we were all created to worship. And I I believe God built us this way with emotion. And I believe we were all called to respond to what God, God did for us on the cross through Jesus. And I believe that response is called worship. And I believe how we respond matters. It matters to us and it matters to God. Uh, If you've been tracking with us in this series, we've been looking at the words of a man named Paul to a church in the ancient city of Colossae. If you have your Bibles or your Bible app, I want to invite you to open up. We're going to be in Colossians 3 this morning. We're going to look at two verses, Colossians 3, 16 and 17. And I want you to hear the words that Paul wrote to this group of Jesus followers some 2,000 years ago. Because I think everything he wrote was writing up to this point was all leading to this, this very same idea. In Colossians 3 and verse 16, here's what Paul said to these Jesus followers. He said, let, let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. So, so what's Paul talking about? What is this message that Paul is talking about? I want you to, to imagine it this way. I want you to imagine that this is what Paul is trying to say. That, that Just imagine that this container is, is your life. And what Paul is trying to communicate to these group of Jesus followers is that the message about Christ, it should fill your life. And what Paul has done over and over and over again throughout this letter, if you've been tracking with us the last few weeks, you've heard these verses read, these words that Paul has shared read over and over again. If you back up to chapter one, here's what Paul said. He said, hey, I want you to know this, that you have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of Jesus. Well, when you hear that message and that hits home in your heart and you realize what Jesus has done for you, that you belong to the kingdom of darkness, but now because of Christ, you belong to to the kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of God's own son, that's going to fill your life. But he didn't stop there. You fast forward a few verses, and the very next thing he says in, in, in chapter 1, verse 22, is that, that because of what God has done for you through Jesus, now you are holy and you are blameless before God. You can stand before God holy and blameless, but you may say, you don't know what I've done. You don't know my past. You don't know the mistakes I've made, the people I've hurt, the lies I've told, the things I've done. And, and what Paul says is, because of Jesus Because of what Jesus did for you on the cross, this should fill your life. You can stand before God holy and blameless. And when you hear that message and it resonates with your heart, your life's filled. But that's not all all Paul said. You fast forward a few verses. Chapter 2, Paul says this. You need to know this, that through Jesus, you have been raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God. Again, the gospel message is not that you were bad and that God wanted to make you better. It's that you were dead because of your sin and God wanted to make you alive through Christ. And this is what happens when you believe in Jesus. You are raised to new life. And that fills your life. 
And it's so important. He says it again in chapter 3, verse 1. He says it again. Because of what Christ did, you've been raised. You've been resurrected to new life, to live the baptized life. And when you hear this message, not only does it fill your life, but you know what happens. Your life begins to just overflow with the message of Jesus Christ. This is what Paul is saying. That this is what happens when you, this is why it matters what you fill your heart and your life with. Some of you, we're not even going there this morning, but some of you, you're filling your life with all the wrong things. But when you fill your life with the message of what God has done for you with Jesus over and over again, when you read his word, when you spend time with with him in prayer, when your friend sends you that encouraging message with, with a scripture or you get the verse of the day, every time you open the word of God, every time you're reminded of the good news of Jesus Christ, this is what happens. Your life is filled and you begin to overflow. And you know what the overflow looks like? He says it in the very next verse. This is what happens when your life overflows with the message of Christ. You sing psalms and hymns. And spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And I think all of us know this isn't a proof test for acapella music, nor is this the only way to worship God. What Paul is saying here is this is what happens. When you overflow with with, with the message and the good news of Jesus Christ, this is what happens. You can't help but sing. You can't help it, but express uh, what God has done for you. You can't help it, but let it out because it's just overflowing when you realize that this is what God has done for you through Christ Jesus, that you are the one. God so loved the world, but God also so loved you that he gave his one and only son. So if you would believe in him, anyone who would believe in him would not experience death, but would experience everlasting, eternal, the good and the abundant life. This is the good news. This is what happens when you realize You were the prodigal son. You were the daughter. You were the one that left home, that ran away from God, that ran away from your father in heaven. And you thought that he would never take you back. You thought you could never come home. But finally, something happened. You hit rock bottom. And when you hit rock bottom, you thought, maybe, just maybe. I'm going to hope against hope that maybe, just maybe, I can come home. And my father in heaven, God, could take me back. And when you came around the corner, what you realized is that even though you ran away from God, he never ran away from you. In fact, he was running after you. He never stopped pursuing you. He never stopped looking for you. And when you turned to him, he ran to you. This is the good news. And when you realize this is what God has done for you through Jesus, it fills your life and your life can't help but overflow. And that overflow is worship. That overflow is praise. The result of what God has done for you. When you realize, you know, I I expected consequences. I deserved punishment. But God threw me a party. And he welcomed me home. You can't help but sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs to God with a thankful heart. But he doesn't stop there. Because your worship doesn't end there. The very next verse, this is what Paul says. He says, whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever you say, you do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. In other words, everything you do becomes an act of worship. 
How you live the life you live matters. And oh, by the way, how you live the life you live, everything you do is an act of worship. The way you treat people, the way you honor others, the way you go to work, the way you do your work, the way you go to school, the way you treat your friends. Everything you do becomes an act of worship because you do everything as a reflection of praise to the God who loved you and who welcomed you home and who called you to be his own, who calls you his son. And his daughter. The question is, what is it that keeps us from expressing our worship for this God? What are the roadblocks? I mean, I've heard them. I'm sure you have too. You know, I just can't raise my hands in worship. That's just not the way I was raised. I get that. I grew up in that same church. But it sounds like a roadblock to me. I'm not sure why it's there, but I know it's there. But, you know, roadblocks are helpful for a time when they're there to protect you. But at some point, they got to come down. And I wonder if it's time to take that roadblock down. I, I, I just can't clap, you know, during the songs or when something good happens in church. I just, I'm not comfortable with that. It sounds like a roadblock to me. Is it time to take that roadblock down? I really, I really can't kneel down, and it's not because I'm not able. I'm just not comfortable with it. It sounds like a roadblock, and I wonder if it's time to take that roadblock down. I, I really, I, I'm just not a good singer. Like, you don't really even want to hear me sing. I know Scripture says make a joyful noise, but let me tell you, what that comes out of me is just not that joyful even. <gasps> I love the music, and I love to hear the songs, and I love to think about the words. Yeah, it sounds a little bit like a roadblock to me. And I wonder if it's time to take that roadblock down. Let me ask you this. What what would keep you from raising your hands in worship to the one who raised his arms on a cross and lifted his hands to be pierced by nails for you? What, What would keep you from kneeling in worship For the one who knelt and prayed the night before he died. And oh, by the way, he prayed for you. What would keep you from from lifting your voice in worship to the one who scripture says sings over you with great delight? What would keep you from, from clapping and applauding the one who scripture says led the applause of heaven the day you gave your life to him? What would keep you from worshiping with everything you have? The one who has given everything for you. Sometimes there's roadblocks to our worship. Sometimes we just become numb. Uh, Several months ago, uh, we, we, uh, we were here at church like we are most Sundays, like a lot of you are. And we stood to sing, and Zach was leading us in a great way. And we sang some song, and I don't even remember what the song was, but my, my youngest daughter brought uh, a Barbie uh, to church that day, and so I brought the same Barbie here, and um, sorry if she's dressed a little inappropriately. I'm not sure about the, uh, the clothing choice today. I'll do this. <gasps> and we stood to sing, and uh, my family stood, and we began to sing. And One of my favorite parts of every Sunday, just so you know, I'll be honest, it's watching my children worship. I just love it. And I looked over at my daughter who had her Barbie, and as we stood to sing, she just took her Barbie and she did this. I, 
I'll be honest, we, I, we didn't sit down with our kids and have a lesson on the postures of worship the night before. We've never done that. Uh, my kids haven't heard me teach or preach a lot about worship or about how to worship or what we do when we worship. Uh, somehow she just knew that when we began to sing, like, this is, this is what Barbie does. This is what you do. This is how you worship. Um, I don't know what the roadblocks are for you. And, and I don't know how we've become numb to the story of the cross. You realize the cross is emotional. And I believe God intended it to be that way. You can't see the cross. You can't contemplate the cross. You can't fix your eyes on the cross and not be moved. If, you, if, 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 if that's true for you, check your pulse. Um, to understand what God has done for us through Jesus is a powerful and emotional experience. Uh, I wonder if somehow we've started to think that, that it's normal uh, to come into a place like this and to worship with our, our arms crossed or our hands in our pockets and to, to sit in judgment of the songs we sing, even though Zach and our worship team do a fantastic job, or, 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 or to stand there in judgment of how long we sing or how long we're standing. And, and, and I wonder if somehow we've just become numb or confused, or desensitized, or we've just forgotten. Here's why this is so important, um, and I believe this is true, that the way we worship reflects the one we worship. The, the way we worship reflects the one we worship, and, and if that is true, then I have to ask you the question, what does the way you worship reflect about the one you worship? I think the way that we, we worship, and I'm talking to myself too this morning, it should reflect this amazing truth that you know what? I, I, I want, God, I want you to know, and I want the world around me to know that, that, that I love you and that I have been loved by you, and, and I'm not going to be ashamed. I think that's what Paul was talking about in Romans 1.16 when he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want the world to know this is what I believe, and this is who I worship. And so, so I, I want everyone to know, God, I love you, and God, I, I know that you see me, and I know that I have been loved by you, and I want my worship to reflect uh, the fact that, that you love me and I am loved by you and that I love you, and I want you to know that it's going to reflect that you are worthy of all the honor and all the glory and all the praise that I could possibly ever give because you are worthy. Now listen, I, I don't expect to come in here next Sunday and to see every hand raised or every knee bowed or but I do think we have to ask the question, what needs to change? What needs to change about your worship? What needs to change about our worship so that our worship, and again, like Zach said so beautifully, this isn't a show for anybody, but it is a reflection to God. You are worthy. And I want everything I do in word and deed to give you honor and praise. I want my life to be an overflow of the message of the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's going to come out of me. It's going to bubble up over the top of me. And everyone around me is going to know that I love you and I have been loved by you. This is my worship. It is the overflow of the message of the great love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. Church, if you would, let's stand. What if our worship on earth reflected the worship 
of heaven. Mike said and prayed a while ago that that God would make things on earth as they are in heaven. What if our, our worship on earth was to reflect the worship that is already going on in heaven? I want to close this series and I want to close this message today with, with a picture because we actually have a picture of the worship of heaven. John was one of Jesus' closest disciples and closest friends. And in his old age, he received a vision of the worship of heaven. And he wrote it down in a letter that he called Revelation. In chapters 4 and 5, I want to read you some excerpts uh, from what Paul saw as he got to peek behind the curtain of heaven. I'll read the words in white, but I would love for you to read along with me the words that are in yellow on the screen behind me this morning. This is a picture of the worship of heaven. John writes, As I looked... I saw a door standing open in heaven. And the same voice I had heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. The voice said, come up here and I will show you what must happen after this. And instantly I was in the spirit and I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones, like jasper and carnelian. And the glow of an emerald encircled his throne like a rainbow. Twenty-four thrones surrounded him and 24 elders sat on them they were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their heads from the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder and in front of the throne were seven torches with burning flames this is the sevenfold spirit of god in front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass sparkling like crystal in the center and around the throne were four living beings each covered with eyes front and back The first of these living beings was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a human face. And the fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of these living beings had six wings, and their wings were covered all over with eyes, inside and out. Day after day and night after night, they kept on saying, say it with me, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God the Almighty. The one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. Whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, O Lord our God. To receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things. And they exist because you created what you pleased. Then I saw a lamb. That looked as if it had been slaughtered. But it was now standing between the throne and the four living beings. And among the 24 elders. Then I looked again and I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne and of the living beings and the elders. And they sang in a mighty chorus, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea. And they sang, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Amen. And the four living beings said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and they worshiped the Lamb. We were built to worship.
May our worship reflect the one we worship. This is the song of the redeemed. Let those who are saved, let those who've experienced the goodness and the kindness and the graciousness of Jesus Christ that comes from God our Father, may we in this place lift up our voices, our hands, whatever it takes to worship the Lamb of God. Let's sing.